You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Richard Wilson, the CEO of Multifamily Office Club, with more than 15 years in managing different multifamily uh, family offices industry. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Richard, today? Great, great. How are you doing, Adam? Great. Richard, I would like to start with your beginning on managing family offices. Why you choose this route uh, in different, I think, commercial spaces and different investment strategies? Why was the family office was a starting point for you? Sure. Um, well, it's kind of like asking a robber, you know, why did you rob the bank? You know, that that's where the money was, right? So... <laughs> Uh, when I looked at, I was raising capital for hedge funds at one point. And when I was doing that, I realized that to only reach accredited investors through wealth advisors, I couldn't just go to an average wealth manager. I needed to go to someone who called themselves a family office. And when trying to learn how to do that, there was no trail guide helping me. There's a few journalists who had never worked a day of their life in the industry writing articles on the space. And I said, well, that's really strange because these are the wealthiest people on planet earth that need a family office or have their own. So why isn't there like a trail guide or somebody who's written a book on the industry or anything like that? And so we started the uh, Family Office podcast. We bought familyoffices.com over a dozen years ago. Mm. And now after speaking at a couple hundred events in 15 countries, we've also hosted 185 uh, conferences and workshops ourselves. And so just kind of all snowballed on top of each other because there's a big gap in the marketplace and it's a really valuable niche to be connected in so that's that's why we focused our time there so you're saying that you found an actual upside on working on the family offices over to be an actual active syndicator there's a upside for you on this especially on raising capital correct yeah yeah and and sometimes like to somebody who's receiving the capital from one of our clients it looks like capital raising many times we're just trying to serve the investor really well um and like last Tuesday, we got a $22 million deal closed. Eight weeks ago, we closed a $30 million deal. We have a $50 million term sheet signed. And we're really helping big investors allocate capital into things. Uh, much of the time, we do have our own real estate investment platform uh, called InvestorResidences.com. We buy 20 Airbnb properties in a portfolio and add value to them and and grow that over time. Um, so we do raise capital for the Airbnb fund. Um, and then on the operating business side, our one focus is medical and dental practices. We invest into them as minority growth capital. So we do sometimes raise capital for those things, but a very big percentage of capital we put to work is actually us helping these big family offices put capital into projects. So we don't even see it as capital raising much of the time, as much as like deal origination or helping these big families place capital. I think with new uh, wealth management and risk management on the industry right now, dealing with family offices is like a little bit um, difficult, like in the same way you're dealing with big lenders. So can you tell me what was the, like how you see that dealing with, because usually when you're dealing with family offices, they are dealt like a, an investor eventually. You want to be a passive investor. Uh, so what was the difference on your opinion between uh, lenders and family offices when the uh, to the point of passive investing? Yeah, um, 
So in other words, like what's when you're dealing with a family office, what's the difference between dealing with like a big lender and a big family office? Is that what you're asking basically? Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. Um, family offices are much more creative, um, highly uh, institutionalized lending companies and banks, et cetera, have a very long checklist of things and a rigid structure. Either there's this loan or a bridge loan or this other type of loan with a floating rate or something with an entrepreneurial family office, they may have a preferred structure. And I do have one billionaire that we have gotten 19 deals done with so far, and he's very rigid in his structures. Most of my other clients are not as rigid. They have a preferred approach and then they have other options and they can customize it to the situation. And if you appeal to the entrepreneur in the, in the founder of the family office, you can often get a deal done that's different than any deal they've done, but it's good for both parties. Perhaps you're raising capital for a medical practice platform and you need to bring in $4 million and you want a certain valuation and the family office wants a different valuation. You may be able to pledge some real estate assets to make sure that they almost for sure can't lose their money because you've mm -hmm. pledged this collateral to get the money you need for the operating business. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in a real estate platform and you're raising capital for multifamily, maybe you give them a little bit of equity in the deal just for standing in as the balance sheet that the bank needs to see to give you the debt on a property, even if they don't put their money in the deal, they're just there so the bank feels secure and that somebody is signing on the, the bank docs, docs with them and they might get equity without having to invest any money. So they're very open-minded to creative ideas, but it's all about the trust. They're not investing with people because they have mm. the most amazing returns. Mm. They don't care about your returns if they don't trust you. And it's all about the conviction on your strategies, how great your team is, and and how well they really know and trust you matters more than your promised returns. So let me uh, focus on this part then. Uh, if we're talking about the multifamily platform, how you see the first point to start to engage with family offices? At which limit as an active syndicator, you have to start to look to build a relationship with family offices? But because we're, we're dealing with, I think, with plus $10 million dollars check when you're dealing with family offices how you see this like when is the actual starting point for active syndicators to deal with uh, family yeah. offices sure i mean i think you should start before you think you need to uh because sometimes you'll have to develop a relationship for three to five months before someone invests sometimes it might be three to five years sometimes it might be one year other times it might be six years before someone invests and some people might say, oh, well, that's way too long. I would go out of business if I had to wait that long. Mm -hmm. But it's worth planting those seeds for later because one family office investment of, let's say, $8 million would replace 80 um, $100,000 investors or a $40 million investment that one of our um, mm -hmm. members in our family office club uh, that was raising capital landed a $40 million equity check. That's 400 $100,000 investors. And so in that case, it took 18 months to develop their relationship. But can you close 400 100K investors in 18 months? I don't know. It might be kind of hard. So um, that's just something to keep in mind is that they're much, much more valuable, sometimes 100 times more valuable than a normal investor. So you need to be planting those seeds for later as you grow and become more credible and just add value first and add value to them. And then that's how you kind of get their attention versus incessantly pitching them maybe. Based on your career, how do you see the top mistakes of dealing with family offices? Yeah, some of the top mistakes are to rush them or act very stressed out, um, to follow up way too much, like three times over a two-day period of time, uh, or to um, not be clear about how you're different than a thousand of your competitors. 
Um, I think that all of us have a lot of people competing against us. And if you're not aware of what they're doing, then you can't position yourself uniquely. Mm -hmm. And then you need to have not only that unique positioning, but you need to be able to really in a concise way in one sentence or one line, say exactly what makes you unique in a way that people want to lean forward and learn more as soon as they hear that one sentence. And most people haven't taken the time to do that. And it costs you nothing but being intentional. Um, you don't need to hire an expensive firm. You don't need to go spend $10,000. But if you don't know what makes you unique from everyone else, then why why should they you know, take a phone call from you or look at your materials? Um, so make sure you have that really nailed down when you're working with family offices and look to add value to them first. Mm. So they can't resist replying to you because it's going to help their son or it's going to help their business or it's going to really help their family office. Uh Based on this, why you see that a family offices industry is growing in the last, I think, 20 years? It was growing, growing a lot. Do you see that the flexibility versus uh, the regular uh, lenders is a, the reason or what, what is the reasoning of the growing business on family offices? Yeah, uh, many reasons. So one is just that when I got started in 2007, most people didn't know what a family office was. Even if you worked in wealth management, most people didn't know. Nowadays, general public has no idea. Uh, if you're ultra wealthy, you've probably heard of a family office by now. So that's really growing the industry. Once people figure out what they are, they say, yeah, I should set one of those up eventually. I probably need one of those, or I want something that represents the benefits of a family office. So that just grows the industry naturally. Some people abuse the word and maybe they're actually a multifamily syndicator and they go around saying, oh yeah, I'm a family office. I invest in real estate. And people say, oh, well, what do you like to invest in? They say, oh, multifamily. And then people try to raise capital from them and really they're just syndicating multifamily deals and they're not really operating as a genuine family office that's putting capital in other people's deals. Hmm. Doesn't mean there's not ultra wealthy people who made their money in multifamily syndication, but some people use it as a marketing facade to try to get access to things and then you know, um, that's not that's not too good for the industry, but it happens. Um, and then the other reason is just that there's more wealth than ever before. And so as the term becomes more popular and there's more wealth, it's really kind of exponential growth for the industry. So we're really running our business um, for the long term. We want to be operating it for the next 30 years. So we're trying to do everything the right way and treat people well along the way so that the Family Office Club can be a, a trusted resource and, and platform with our 15 live events per year, you know, over the long term. Uh, the subject of the year, the recession and going through recession right now, how you see um, the current ongoing recession uh, impacting uh, dealing with family offices and especially their approach right now? Do you see that they are leaning more to be an active investor or just uh, focus on the passive investor from their perspective? How you see that the actual industry going, and um, on the same time, how you see the impact on the active syndicator dealing with passive um, family offices? Sure. Yeah, I think that right now, um, if somebody was really good at investing in three different areas and they were about to start experimenting with two more, they might put lower dollar amounts into that new experiment just mm -hmm. because the market's more volatile. Um, I also think that just investing in something and crossing your fingers that it's going to cash flow well um, is not a smart strategy right now. So you really need deep value add strategies. Mm -hmm. Like in the um, Airbnb space, if we get a 200 acre piece of land with a cabin on it and we add five more cabins or we turn a five bedroom house into a seven bedroom house right on the beach, then uh, we're forcing appreciation on that just like a multifamily or storage sponsor might 
Um, and so a lot of savvy families are looking for really deep value add groups that can force that appreciation to protect themselves so that even if the market goes down by 40%, they may still make money mm -hmm. or they would break even if they sold at the bottom, but then they'll make a lot of money once the market corrects, you know, in a few years. So I think that's, those are some top of mind things that we discuss with our clients quite often. Uh, right now, uh, when, when people are investing um, on, on, or especially the, the, the family offices, how do you see the actual strengths of family offices versus REITs? Um, yeah, I think a REIT, oftentimes there's diversified REITs that invest all over the place. And most family offices don't get that diversified. They usually focus on two or three real estate food groups. Um, some of them do go broad, but most of them not. Some REITs though are laser focused and they'll just invest in one asset class. And uh, there's some parallels with some families. Maybe they made their money in multifamily and that's all they do. And they might JV with people, co-GP, do their own deals, do some development each year. We've got a, a couple billion dollar plus balance sheet clients that we work with of that nature. Um, the REITs have to kick out a certain amount of income per year. They have to worry about short-term and medium-term results. Family offices can be very long-term focused. So that could be a big difference. Um, they are their own investor base many times. And so if they want to do something that's going to take some patience, uh, they may be fine doing that where a REIT may need to worry about that quarterly or monthly distribution that has to go out to investors all the time mm -hmm. uh, to allow them to raise more capital. A family office may not be raising any capital, um, they just need to invest their own capital. So that they have different considerations on taking risks. And um, if the head of the REIT takes a big risk and it goes wrong, they could get fired. Of course, the son of a family in charge of investing the family's money could get quote unquote fired from doing that as well. But if the family's backing them on taking this risk, they don't have to worry about reputation risk nearly as much. I'm gonna go uh, with a different subject, if you don't mind, sure. which is one of your phrases is centimillionaire. So when you're dealing with centimillionaire uh, uh, family offices, can you give us an example of like what is actually making a family office successful on the marketing and the back office operation? Yeah, sure. So a centimillionaire is a hundred million plus net worth family, and um, a lot of those families have uh, similar challenges to each other. So a lot of them are struggling to figure out their direct investment strategy. A lot of them invest too much into startup companies. A lot of them have bad deal flow and they think they have pretty good deal flow and they think they know some pretty good syndicators, but they aren't seeing a thousand deals a quarter and all the big family offices are and investment clubs like ours, we see over a thousand deals per quarter. And so our top 1% is way better than somebody else's top 1% that's not seeing that much flow. Um, so those are all some of the challenges. Um, and then many times the family hasn't really focused on, you know, what are the family values? What are our objectives? What are our income needs? And then what's the exact direct investment strategy that's going to bring that to us and manage all of that on a one page, like PDF dashboard. So that's something we provide to families for free, uh, just to add value to them. Um, but a lot of families you'd think with a hundred million plus net worth, they would have multiple full-time people helping them with strategy and execution. Uh, and a lot of them don't, and they operate a little bit in a silo and try to pull it off themselves without much guidance uh, from others. And so there's a lot of room for improvement with a lot of these families. So you're basically working as a GP with the family offices to help them to formalize their marketing and back office operation, correct? 
Right. Yeah, we might help plug in service providers. We'll help them upgrade who their wealth provider is. We have two wealth advisors we work with out of a thousand plus who have met with in person. Uh, we'll help them organize their plans and their strategies. We'll help them source deals that fit their strike zone that we help them define. So we can be confident that it's not a waste of their time to consider a certain investment opportunity. Um, and so it's a, a combination of formalizing their family office, formalizing their direct investment strategy, and then bringing deals that hit that buy box that we help them to find. And the leaning more to uh, like the actual trend is more leaning to the active or the passive? Uh, um, what direction. we teach families is that perhaps if they choose two to four food groups in real estate, maybe one food group, they might want to be partially active because mm -hmm. they have a skill set there or there's a storage asset or an industrial or multifamily asset local to them that's small enough that they think that they could handle that one themselves based on what they've learned to date. So we encourage them to maybe consider that, but then for additional exposure in that same niche to use a professional and use a sponsor and a fund, et cetera. But they will know more about vetting the sponsors and funds if they're familiar with the industry and they've managed a, a 10 plex or 20 plex themselves, they'll be able to relate to some of the challenges and things that come up or insurance needs, et cetera, that others have. Um, and then on the operating business side, we encourage them to focus on where they made their money or just on one or two areas that um, they want to be uh, active in fully controlling the company. If they made their money in real estate, then that is their operating business. But if they made their money, like most families in manufacturing or pharmaceuticals or healthcare, et cetera, then we encourage them to focus there. So the, the most successful families do that. So for us, uh, on the operating business side, we only invest into medical and dental practices. On the real estate side, we only invest into Airbnb properties. And then we just listen to our clients, of course, if they want us to keep them in mind for golf investments or pharmaceutical or whatever it may be. Um, but we encourage people to focus their energy um, just in one or two areas if they're going to be active and be passive everywhere else and find the best in class people to manage things. Because you're not going to be an expert at everything. And there's too many learning curves to um, really move up if you're trying to manage everything yourself internally. You mentioned something I think is important for our platform, which is uh, you choosing on the commercial real estate, you choose the Airbnb side, especially as I think you mentioned is the added value portion. Can you tell me why you have this approach, not the regular commercial like multifamily? Why Airbnb for you was, uh, was the winning uh, horse? Yeah. Uh, one reason is just that we have a lot of members of our investor club that do multifamily and I didn't want to see them think that I was competing against them. Oh. Uh, the other reason is that there's just a lot of multifamily people out there. So, you know, relatively competitive to stand out. Mm. Um, we have a thousand members raising capital. Only one of them does Airbnb, uh, an Airbnb fund out of a thousand. Uh, and that group is open to co-investing with us into projects. So it makes it very friendly. Um, and then multifamily is 25% owned by institutions. Self-storage is 12 to 15%. Mm. SFR is 2.4%. And STR, short-term rentals, is less than 1% owned by institutions. So we want to build up a, a 500 asset, asset short-term rental portfolio and then sell it to an institution at some point or sell part of it there mm. when they finally come to the short-term rental space one day. But it needs to be more organized, more efficient, more mature. So we think in seven to 10, 12 years, then we'll be in a great position to, um, with 500 plus homes to, uh, you know, work with institutions. So your focus now is on development first and turn the development to an actual Airbnb, correct? Yeah. What we do right now is buy, um, like yesterday we closed on a two acre parcel in the Grand Canyon that has two properties on it. 
and it has room for additional development next door. Uh, we also have a property in Park City. We bought all cash at a great discount. We also have a property in Sedona, one acre, two properties on it, closing November 11th. And then we're looking at a couple 250-acre and 150-acre plots where we could build out five or 10 cabins. So uh, our model is unique in that um, we have the Airbnb fund, but also when investors put their money in, they can stay at some of the Airbnb properties while they're invested. Mm -hmm. And then we give them quarterly cash flows and we don't make a dollar anywhere in the structure. And we don't um, charge any asset management fees until the investor has doubled their money and gotten a 2x return. And then they're out of the deal after that, but they get some vacation credits in the properties. So they get like a really clean 2x return stream. And then we redeem their equity out, but they've already doubled their money at that point and gotten quarterly wires the whole the whole way um, along so that they they win first before we win at all. Mm. And um, that structure was important to us just to be unique from what uh, we see others offering in the space. So what is your focus right now with which estate? Um, well, we are have a, we have a 10 to 15 uh, location kind of hit list where we're always looking at properties on the market. Um, and we've already picked up a couple assets in Arizona. So Hawaii, Florida, Colorado, and Utah are some of the top places that we're looking at, mm. but we're pretty opportunistic. Like we, last week we had somebody tell us they have a 7,000 square foot home in Hawaii. They'd be mm. willing to contribute to the fund as an investment, quote unquote, if the numbers all made sense. Or like last month we had a member say, oh, I've got a house on the beach in Lake Tahoe. And it turns out like he wanted a high price for it. So we didn't do the deal, but it was the same thing. And we also talked to someone recently who has 3000 acres in their portfolio. Um, and they would like to see about, you know, having some Airbnb assets developed on them. So if we get connected to someone like that, it may not be in our top 10 to 15 locations we're driving towards, but if the deal makes sense and it's an excellent opportunity, then we'll kind of investigate and see what the data looks like on it. You're mentioning that you have a platform of 1,000 people. You're meaning that you have a mentorship program or this is an actual, the club of the family office club? Yeah, so at family office club, um, we have something called charter membership um, and we're raising the price every year by 25 to 33%. So it's really underpriced right now, uh, we realize, but it's a $3,000 to $6,700 membership based on what level you want to get. Mm -hmm. But that gets you access to all 15 live events per year. We review your materials every quarter. Um, you get access to the member portal, which has 800 investor mandates in there and all of our HD recorded capital raising workshops and past investor conferences. And our next event is called the Family Office Super Summit. And that's in South Florida. Uh, December 14th, 15th, and 16th. And we'll have 150 speakers on stage over three days. And we'll have 1,700 people there. So we'll have more family offices on stage at that event than any other event globally that anyone hosts in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, so we really encourage people to uh, check that out because lots of people delay, delay, delay. And then two, three years later, they finally come to one event. And they're like, oh, I should have been coming earlier. Uh, and that happens a lot to us. Um, so up until recently, even we would give people a membership for a dollar for the first like 60 days. Cause we know once they go to one event, they're going to love it. They're going to stay. And then we'd charge them the normal membership. But nowadays we're, uh, we're raising our prices, uh, every year pretty rapidly just to make the community higher and higher end. Mm -hmm. But those who join can get grandfathered into whatever rate they join at. So that's how our membership works. And the idea is that if you come to just half of our dozen capital raising workshops a year, we're going to infuse your brain with a whole bunch of capital raising strategies. 
And then when you come to the investor summit, you can hear from 70 to 150 investors and investment firms on stage and really get in tune with what's happening in the family office space. Coming from Wall Street uh, background, how you see who's really have a great uh, influential in your career as a mentor? Sure. Like who's been the best mentors to me? Yes. Number one mentor has been Eben Pagan. Uh, that guy's a pure genius. Uh, he helped me. I was on Zoom with him yesterday and two days before. He helped me go to zero to seven figures in revenue in my third year in business. Hmm. He turned me on to a lot of other mentors like Dan Sullivan, Dan Kennedy, Joe Polish, Dean Jackson, Jay Abraham, Gary Halbert, you know, studying hmm. a lot of great uh, marketers and business thinkers. Um, and so Brian Tracy was one of my early mentors, Jeffrey Gittimer. Um, and so all of those things have really helped me. And then now to try to grow to the next level, I try to always listen to my ultra wealthy families and what strategies they're using, of course, and then relay that back to our members. Mm. And then last year we bought uh, billionaires.com and I'm interviewing billionaires. We have about uh, 13 billionaire interviews done so far. Mm. And we're trying to get 33 interviews done with billionaires and anyone who introduces us to one that'll just answer our three questions over email We'll publish that interview on billionaires.com, thank the person that got us that connection, and then blast that out to our big email list and our 1.9 million followers on social media. And, and I'm most excited about that project because if we can study and learn from billionaires and have billionaire mm -hmm. quality ideas coming into our brain every week um, and grow our network of billionaires, then I just feel like even if that takes us a decade to really nail as a project and do an amazing job on, that it's it's a good good space to be playing in and something multiple things that are good will come from that you know i think it's really important as you mentioned and a lot of my guests confirm the same issue is that working with marketing mentors is really important far from your niche like if you're working on on um, software if you're working in real estate marketing has their own uh, ideas about how you can grow your um, basic your career and it's really helping um, I think uh, I would like jump to jump to the last question, which is how you see, how we see your superpower or strengths on the last fifteen years. What was your superpower? Yeah, um, I think my superpower is synthesizing a lot of things going on to build a position that brings to us pre-qualified leads that are motivated to do business with us. So seeing a whole bunch of variables and then being like, okay, well, there's a gap in the market here. So why don't I write the first book for hundred million plus net worth families called Centimillionaire Strategies and buy centimillionaires.com? Or why don't I write the first book on how to start a family office and call it how to start a family office? Or, you know, and so some ideas are relatively cheap and easy. Some are expensive. Two months ago, we bought the largest social media network in the dental industry because we invest in dental practices. It was called Dental Peeps. Now we rebranded it to Dental Club. Mm. But we have 375,000 members in those social media groups. Oh. And it gives us access to just about anybody we want in dentistry. Mm. Um, and so I think it's, it's really synthesis of a lot of different variables to build a really strong position is what our biggest strength is. Thanks so much for being with us today. And my final, final question will be how the people can follow you on social media. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, you can find us on LinkedIn is where we post most consistently, but we're on Facebook as well under Family Office Club. And um, if you want to check out our live events or charter membership, that's just at familyoffices.com. And anyone who needs to get a hold of me, 
Uh, my email is richard at investorclub.com. And my uh, phone number, if you want to shoot me a text message, is 305-333-1155. Thanks again, Richard, for being with us today. And re we're really happy to bring you again to the show. Cool. Yeah, anytime, Adam. Take Thank care. Thank you a lot.